Mike and maybe Drake. If you you could pass these out one one too quickly. Hopefully you guys have a pen or can borrow one from your husband or wife. Um, so when you were little, maybe this is a girl thing, but um, if you when you were little, did you ever play pretend? Uh huh. So when you played pretend, what was your name? Did you have a different name other than the one that your mama gave you that you pretended to be was your play name or whatever? Um, I don't know if the guys do that or not, and if not, just, you know, play along with me um, and pretend with me. But what I'd like for you to do on the name tag that you're given is if you could write any name um, that you would like to go by. If, you're, if you don't think your mom named you the right thing, <laughs> Or if you'd just like to change your name, or if you want to put your childhood pretend name on there, I would like for you to do that. Just pretend a minute with me. And then um, after you write your name, I would like for you underneath it to write a characteristic um, or one word to describe the person that you wrote on your tag. So one word. So your name it could be the name you got that you go by now. I don't care. It's fine. And write one characteristic of that person. So I'm going to write mine. So when I was a little girl, I'm just going to tell you my story. My pretend name was Candy. Don't judge me. Candy with an I. And I dotted it with a heart. So Candy with an eye, and the eye had a heart over it. And Candy was um, really pretty, and she was really outgoing, and everybody loved her. She was very popular. And maybe just a little valley girl, too. I'm not sure. <laughs> she said things like, like. Like. Um, so that's what I put on mine. I put Candy, and I put outgoing, because Candy was outgoing, and that was something that I always admired about Candy. Um, I remember we were talking tonight before church, um, Sister Becca and Gracie and I were talking about the name Becca. And my mom named me Rebecca. And when I was a kid, uh, eighth grade or something, I wanted to be called Becca. I wanted to change my name to Becca because it was way more sophisticated than Becky. And uh, so I said I wanted to be called Becca. Mom wouldn't do that. And then uh, I had a friend in my early adult years. She just abbreviated Rebecca to Reba. Mom didn't want any part of that either. So here I am. I'm still Becky. <laughs> Mom says yay. Anybody want to share what their pretend name was, would be and a, their characteristic? I just need a couple. Sister Tremia. Queen T. Yeah. And what's, what's a characteristic of her? Royalty. Woo -woo. Okay. You guys can put on your name tags. Anybody else? Sister Shayla. Diane. What kind of person is Miss Diane? Ooh, yes. <laughs> Allison. Uh-huh. Bold. Miss Sam is bold up here in the front. All right. <laughs> Moya. Avril. Okay, and what's the characteristic of optimistic? Okay, Ken, what you got? Batman. That's a great name. <laughs> Good job, Ken. Somebody over here had their hand up. Nathan. Okay, is the what's the characteristic about Nathan? Weird. Is that a current characteristic or is that a pretend characteristic? permanent staple. <laughs> it's a pool thing, Sister Sam says. Thanks, Laura. <laughs> all right, so we've all got these identities that we've now put on since we're talking about identity. Um, when I was growing up, my dad had a, um, we had a room that was kind of used for storage, and so we had on this one wall right next to the door, uh, he would mark my growth on the wall, and so every randomly throughout the year. It, would, could, it could be once a year, it could be five or six times a year. It just, it didn't matter, just whenever we thought about it. We'd go into that room and he'd stand me up against the wall and 
he'd put a mark and a date, and we'd talk about how much I may or may not have grown or where I was in comparison to him and, and how tall I was getting and stuff. Um, and it was, it was really a, a cool experience to share with my dad because I remember doing that with him. But what if, instead of my height, my dad um, measured my worth on the wall or my value, my value to him and my mom, my worth to society at whatever age I was at the time. Maybe I couldn't even read. How valuable could I have been to society? I couldn't even earn an income. So, you know, dad might have had to put my value really low. And as I got in high school and I got a job, maybe my value went up if he measured me on the wall of value or worth. I'm glad. I'm thankful he didn't do that to me. But there, because there would have been times that I don't think it would have looked super promising. Like, he, it would have been pretty low on the, on the line. Um, but the truth is, we all kind of do this to ourselves and to one another. We have these yardsticks that we use to measure ourselves, and we measure others with them. And sometimes we do it silently, and sometimes we don't do it too silently. We, we vocalize it, and um, we place labels on people. We, society today, we call it being judgy. It's kind of cute, but it's really not okay to be judgy. So let's talk a little bit about some of these labels we place on ourselves and on others. Um, so if, if you were to measure based on value or worth, some of those descriptions could be the things that you wrote on the bottom of your name tag. Things that could be like good looking or popular or royal or optimistic or, um, Shayla, what was yours? Sophisticated. Um, those types of words could be labels that we put on, on people. Um, they could be things that we've written on our tag. The world and the people around us um, value and define a person by what they can offer, right? If we have money, then our value is what we can we give to the cause? What can we contribute? If we have a talent, it's what can you do for me? How can, you, how can I use what ability you have? Um, if they're beautiful, their talent, their worth may lie in, um, you know, their looks and, and what they can achieve. Maybe they can get a movie deal or they can get a, some sort of uh, contract for makeup or clothing or whatever. So that's where um, people can place value on others. Um, have you ever seen a warped mirror? A lot of times you'll see them in the cheap uh, furniture stores. They, uh, they don't really show you a good picture of, of what you look like. They're so irritating because you walk up to the mirror and you're like, you walk up to the mirror and you're like, do I really look like that? I mean, that's like not okay. I don't think I look like that. And, and you think you have this picture in your head of the reflection that you saw in this warped mirror. Um, like a carnival or a kid's play place or whatever, they've got the big head and the little skinny body or the big body and the little bitty skinny head. It's kind of like this mirror I have here. If you were to look in this mirror... It's difficult to see yourself in this mirror. It doesn't give you a clear reflection of who you are. The reflection you see in the mirror is very, very different. Um, and this is the reflection that we see is the mirror that other people hold up for us. If I hold this mirror up to you, this is me giving you what I think of you, right? And it can be a distorted view. It may not be truth at all. You may not even know me, but yet I've placed a label or you've placed a label on me or I've placed a label on you or vice versa. We all have this deep-seated need to be seen as valuable, to be valuable to one another, to be valuable to the kingdom, to be valuable in our family, to, to have a, a, a sense of purpose and a sense of worth in the eyes of others. And so sometimes we allow others to define what that is. And we spend so much time and effort working to reach 
these standards, trying to look better or trying to be better for someone else's opinion to count. And a lot of times it's impossible for us to measure up to those types of, of standards. It, it's Im impractical. It, it doesn't make sense. Because, and truly, someone's always going to be prettier. I'm sorry. <laughs> somebody's always going to be wealthier. Somebody's going to have more money or, or have a better job or m better position. So there's always these, these one-ups that can happen. So we choose to miss out on valuable time with our family um, in an effort to, to obtain a, a higher position at work. We work harder. We work longer hours. We skip time with our kids when they're growing up and little so that we can try and, and get this better job. There's nothing wrong with a better job. But is that the label you're supposed to be wearing, this better position? Um, we'll sacrifice faithfulness to God, faithfulness to church, faithfulness to giving for a career. I've, I have counseled with many young people and told them, do not, including my own, do not take a job that will keep you out of church. Never, ever, ever take a job that will keep you out of church. And when they try to schedule you on Wednesday night or on Sunday, you tell them right away, don't, don't, mm -mm, don't waste your time because they're going to try it again is all I'm going to tell you. They're going to try it again. They'll try and schedule you for another Wednesday and pretty soon you're never here. So, um, but you'll, you'll sacrifice that so that you can, well, what my kids always told me, I remember Nathan and Austin were saying, when I told them, never get a job that makes you work on Wednesday or Sunday, they said, well, what if I get fired then? What if I just don't have a job? And I'm like, well, then you just don't have a job. The Lord will take care of you. And that's very, very true. To this day, they have, they have really done their very best. Occasionally it happens, and I understand that. But they've done their very best to not um, fall into that trap. And God has blessed them for their faithfulness. Sometimes we'll sacrifice holiness disciplines um, for a status at school or with our friends. We'll, we'll get a little lax in our attire. We'll wear a little too clo clothing a little too tight or a little too revealing. We'll um, go to parties that we shouldn't go to. We'll associate with people that we shouldn't associate with. We'll, we'll sacrifice those holiness disciplines because we don't like the label that they bring. Oh, that's the girl in the skirt. Oh, that's the girl who never goes to parties. Or that's the guy who never drinks. Or that's the guy who doesn't want to hang out because, you know, he's afraid that he'll get in trouble for us smoking or whatever. Labels. So we'll sacrifice a little bit. And compromise is really the word. We'll compromise and wear a label that we have no business wearing. If we look at our mirror, look at ourselves in the mirror that the world sees... We may end up seeing ourselves as insignificant, unimportant, flawed, inferior. And we need to allow God to define us, define us, who we, who we are. Put, put labels on us. Put a label on me, God. What, what label will God put on me? What's my value to God? What's my worth to God? Those are the things that we need to um, try and, and seek. So to help us understand a little bit, I've asked for some help tonight. We're going to talk a little bit about Joseph and all of the people that have been involved in Joseph's life. There have been a lot. So Joseph has had extreme emotions in his, in, in his life. He, in the first um, 30 years, he went from a favored son, daddy's favorite, um, privileged, in his father's house to a slave in a faraway land, and then um, he ran an important household, then he went to jail, and then he ran the country of Egypt. And, I mean, all of these things, he's had, like, this roller coaster life of, of emotions. But if we look at how other people could have viewed Joseph and the labels that Joseph could have worn based on other people's opinions of him, um, we're going to see how um, Joseph could have felt. So my first, um, my first person that's coming up is Brother Jeff. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to have Brother Jeff um, read some scriptures for us. Over here, please, sir. <coughs> we're going to read uh, Genesis 37, 2 and 3. And so you might want to grab your Bibles because there's going to be a lot. And I told Mom not to worry about putting all the scriptures up because there's going to be a lot. Um, first of all, let me ask you, Brother Jeff, who are you here to represent? Who are you today? I am Jacob, but my friends like to call me Israel because, you know, one time I got in a fight with God, and 
you know, I kind of wrestled him. I lost. I had a limp for the rest of my life. But, you know, because of that, they call me Israel. Okay. Israel. So read your scripture, please. <clears throat> All right. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being, a, being 17 years old, was feeding his flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Uh, now Israel, now Israel loved Joseph more than all the ch all his children because he was the son of his old age. He made him a coat of many colors. Okay, so um, Israel, it, obviously you know Joseph because you are. I'm his dad. I'm his dad. Okay, mm -hmm. and what do you think of Joseph? Ah, oh, uh, he is uh, proud of that boy. He's he's my he's he's the uh, son of my old age. Mm -hmm. uh, he's he's my youngest son. I. I uh, I know that I, I can trust him. He kind of liked to keep his brothers and sisters in line. He lets me know their goings-ons and kind of, you know, I kind of know how to keep keep my, the rest of the family in line because, yeah. you know, he's my, he's my little spy. He's my, uh, but he's my, he's my favorite. I, you know, I, oh, I, I heard the word. He's my favorite. Ooh, wow. Uh, so have you ever let him know that he's your favorite? Or, and if so, what did you do? Oh, yeah. I, uh, well, I uh, went out and I sheared some of my sheep and uh, I dyed the wool a bunch of different colors and out of that I made him, like, really cool coat. Ah, cool coat. All right. Well, thank you, Israel. I appreciate your time uh, helping us understand Joseph a little bit. So based on Brother Jeff's reading and his opinion of Joseph, what could Joseph have felt about himself? How do you think? Gavin. He what? Yeah, he felt pretty good about himself. Anybody else? Sister Snow. A little puffed up. Uh huh. I would think he'd get a little puffed up. Emily. I'm sorry, Riley. I'm sorry. Special. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, I'm sure he felt very special. All right. Um, Brother Jake Kyle, if you would come down. Brother Jake is going to read our next set of scriptures. And it is going to be um, kind of jumping around a little bit in Genesis 37. We're going to just gonna put the references on the board and you can follow. Brother Jake, who do you represent today? Uh, my name is Simeon, and I am legally obligated to speak for all of my other brothers besides Reuben, because he's got some serious firstborn issues. <laughs> besides Reuben. Okay. <laughs> all right. Read your scriptures. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. The lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought into his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all of his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose, and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaf stood around about and made obstance to my sheaf. And his brethren said unto him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us, or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream. And it told to his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obstinance to me. And he said to him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with my brethren, with all the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. And when they were afar off, even before he came unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, let us slay him and cast him into the pit, and we will say some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. And it came to pass, when Joseph was coming to his brethren, that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him, and they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water that was in it. And they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes and looked. And behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spice, uh, spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And jo Judah said to his brethren, What profit is us if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let, us, let our, not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brethren were content. 
And there passed by Midianites, merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph unto Egypt. And Reuben returned to the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, so he rent his clothes. Oh, wow. Simeon. You've got quite the story there. Yes, quite. Um, So you are obviously Joseph's brothers. Brother from another mother. Correct. Literally. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) That was terrible. (laughs) Brother Jeff, I was waiting on a dad joke from you. I've been working on that all day. What are you talking about? (laughs) So tell me, what do you think, what do you guys all think about Joseph? Sure. Well, I don't know if anyone was hearing when I just read, uh, but we hate the guy. Um, We literally hate his guts. Um, We wanted to kill him. The only reason we didn't kill him is because we thought we could get some money out of it. Uh, And so we decided to benefit ourselves besides just, you know, the the joy of killing him would also get money as well. Um, So so you let him know this by... Oh, we threw him in a pit. Uh, We uh, we were going to let him just die and rock because there's no water in the pit. But uh, some Israelites came by. We go ahead and and, and sold him off there. And we're going to tell our dad, though, he's going to... That guy, Joker, over there. uh, (laughs) He's going to believe that we uh, actually killed him and and, uh, an animal, you know, actually got him uh, attacked. So it'll it'll be okay. Everything's fine. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you, uh, Simeon and sure. brethren. Uh, we appreciate your uh, in-depth. In- Thanks in- for having me. <laughs> Thanks for having us. <laughs> I told him he was going to be split personality tonight. <laughs> so based on the brother's uh, opinion of Joseph, now how does Joseph feel about himself? He was the favorite. He was special. He was all puffed up. And now what is he? Insignificant. Yeah. Anybody else? Shout it out. Rejected. Yeah. He must have been feeling pretty low at this point. Hated. Yeah. Like pure, sheer hatred. I, that's bad hatred. All right, Brother Mike. Let's. Uh, did somebody say something? Sad. Uh-huh. I bet you he was very sad. Brother Mike, who do you represent? Who are, I what is am your name? Reuben, the eldest son of... Judah, Simeon's, Simeon wannabe me. (laughs) Simeon wannabe. Okay, so we just read, um, actually Simeon just, Simeon just read these scriptures for you. And um, so let me just ask you, based on what was just read, how do you know Joseph? I'm his older brother. Oldest brother, okay. And what do you think about Joseph? What do you think about him? Uh, He's a little punk. I hate him. You do hate him as well? Yes. Okay, yes. so you agree with the other brothers? Yeah, for the most part, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, have you let, I mean, was there ever a time that you were like not, I mean, was it as, the hatred as strong as the other brothers, or was it just a little bit more appeased? Or? Well, I really, really hated him, and no, I, 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 I told him off a lot of times, yeah. but I, and I never really told him I loved him because, well, I don't. Okay. But, you know, killing him was a little much for me. Oh, okay. You know, killing is not, I don't see it's that bad, but, you know, killing him, knowing what it would do to Dad, and I do have, I do like Dad. and uh, Good. I don't want him to be hurt, so I, I, I was, when they threw him in the well, in the pit, I was going to come, because I, I said, let's just throw him in the pit, let's not kill him. And I said, I would go back and get him. And Did Joseph kind of know that you said that, that you didn't want him to just be killed? I don't right. let that little punk know. I okay, got it. All right. He doesn't need to know that. Okay. Thank you, Reuben. Thank you. So based on Reuben, does anything change? How would Joseph feel about himself? Does it change at all? No. Okay. Um, Nathan, if you would come up. Nathan's going to read. Uh, Genesis 39, 1 through 6, and 17 through 20. First of all, let's, what, is, what is your name? Oh, man, I'm, I'm Potiphar. Potiphar. Who doesn't know who I am? I'm so sorry. <laughs> Please forgive me, Potiphar. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> Captain here, okay? God, I'm so, so sorry. Okay, read your scriptures, please. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, Bought him of the, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had bought, brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master of the Egyptian. 
And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and, when the, and that the Lord made all that he did prosper in his hands. And Joseph found grace in his sight and served him, and he served him over, and he made him overseer over his house and all that he put into his hands. And it came to pass in the time that he had made him overseer in his house and all over that he had, and all that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessings of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the land. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. He knew not aught he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. And 17 through 20. And she spoke unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought to, unto us came unto me to mock me, and it came to pass, as I lifted my voice and cried, that he left his garments with me and fled out. And it came to pass, when his master heard the, vo the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this man did thy servant, I'm sorry, <clears throat> this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath be kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. Okay. So, um, Potiphar, sir, how exactly do you know Joseph? What is your experiences with Joseph? Okay, so I, I was I was needing some new some some more help with the with the land here, all right. And and the Ishmaelites they usually come by the city every now and then. They'll have somebody. I I, I saw him. And I was like, ah, I'll pick that little guy. Why not? And I bought him. <laughs> okay, so you bought him as a slave. Yeah, he was your slave. Okay, uh, what do you think about him? What do you think about Joseph? <sighs> Is he a good guy? Or? Okay, that's a weird question. So. In the beginning, I liked the guy. He was doing good. Every like, he had blessing. Honestly, like everything the man did, it just practically turned to gold. Like it was great. Like uh, everything was working. Life was great. And then you know, and then he made moves on my wife. <laughs> yeah. Ain't nobody gonna do that to my wife. Okay. <laughs> well, so how? What did you let him know? How you felt about him at any time? Whether you were feeling good about him or bad about him, have you well, let him okay. know? Well, when things were going great, obviously, like I wanted to have this guy in charge. This guy was good. If and obviously everything he was doing was good, everything he oversaw was good. Why not promote him? So I made him like practically my second in command, my right hand man here. All right. And then he, you know, <coughs> things towards my wife. And I just had to get out of, I had to get him out of the house. I had to put him in prison. He, no way he can get, do that and get away with it. So he knew exactly how you felt about him at that point. Oh, yeah. You threw him in prison. Okay. Well, thank you, Potiphar. Not a problem. <laughs> so based on Potiphar's um, knowledge and interaction and opinion of Joseph, um, would Joseph have seen himself differently now? And either before prison or after prison? Could he have seen, how would he have seen himself? He was what? Depressed at the end, yeah. No longer puffed up and important. Anybody else? Unjustly accused. Yeah, all right. Um, Sister Shayla, if you would come down, we're going to hear from another uh, party of the second part, maybe. And your name is? My name is Mrs. Potiphar, beautiful, wealthy, and well-connected. Uh-huh. <laughs> and sophisticated. Also sophisticated. <laughs> we'll just throw that one in there. <laughs> okay. Um, so go ahead and read your uh, scriptures, please. Of course. This is the missing part. Nathan <coughs> read some stuff and skipped over some scriptures. This is the missing part of the story. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing, except what kind of food to eat. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man, and Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around when he went to do his work. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. 
When she saw that she was holding his cloak and he had fled, she called out to her servants. Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to come at me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away, but he left his cloak behind with me. She kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. Then she told him her story. That Hebrew slave you've brought into our house tried to come in and fool around with me, she said. But when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. Wow, Mrs. Potiphar. That's mm. quite a story. Um, so clearly, you know Joseph because he... Well, he started out as just a lowly servant. I didn't really notice him very much because I didn't see him a whole lot. Mm -hmm. But then my husband started seeing that everything around him was being blessed. So he elevated him to basically a personal assistant. And so I saw him more because obviously I want to be around my husband because at that time I was faithful. <laughs> and I saw him a lot more and realized that he was extremely handsome. And let's just say capital H-A-W-T. He was hot. H-A-W-T. <laughs> okay. So clearly now we know what you think of him as mm -hmm. well. Um, did you ever let him know? I mean, through what we just read, you, you let him know that you Well, of course. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. he was in power. I'm in power. He was handsome. I'm gorgeous. It just happened to be a perfect match. And even though I beautifully and quite humbly approached him with an offer he denied me wow and I may have fibbed a little but all in all I'm still wealthy and still beautiful so it all worked out in the end okay well thank you Mrs. Potiphar Woo! based on Mrs. Potiphar's opinion of I know you need a fan for me based on based on Mrs. Potiphar's opinion of Joseph now, how could Joseph have seen himself? Did things change a little bit? Oh, yeah, I think so. He could probably have felt pretty uh, like he was all that and very much more important to Mrs. Potiphar. Than if he wanted to feel that way, he could have, right? But maybe since he didn't accept her advances, maybe he felt a little shameful or dirty, not, not okay, right? Um, Stralison, we're going to have her come up and read the next one. Does anybody have any other thoughts about how um, Joseph could have felt any changes? <laughs> Mrs. Potiphar there speaking. <laughs> you think he really felt like he missed out? <laughs> yeah, he didn't want to be around her. He ran away. All right, and what is your name? Um, I am the prison warden. Prison? You guys should come check out our choir. They're not that great because they're <laughs> behind a few bars and always searching for the key. Oh, my Lord. I had to. My dad missed out. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, sorry. Wow. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That was awesome. Very well delivered, too. <laughs> okay, go ahead and read your scripture, please. Okay. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Wow. So how do you personally then know Joseph? Uh, well, he was a prisoner, obviously, and um, I then um, put him in charge of everything of the prison. I had no more worries because he took care of everything. Was he just that great? I mean, what, what made you do that? Um, I could tell that the Lord was always with him. Everything he did, he did well. Okay. God had, or he had God's favor. Okay, and so you showed him that you approved of him by putting him in charge of stuff. Absolutely. Okay, awesome. Thank you, Sister Allison, Miss, Miss Warden. <laughs> so now Joseph has a feel. <laughs> Rob's all excited. Brother Jeff's excited for a delivery of a joke. <laughs> so how Joseph could have still felt pretty, pretty good about himself, even though he's in prison. Right? He might be depressed for what he has just experienced and what got him into this place. But now, how does Joseph feel? Pretty important. Yeah, Sister Sonoria.
Yeah. Yeah, very confused maybe. Why is this really where I need to be? Is it the safest place? Yeah. Sister JL, come on down. Anybody else have other ideas or anything to add? Huh? That's okay. Think out loud. It's so good. You said he was blessed, still thinking he was blessed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Even though he was in a ba- in a bad spot, yeah, he still was blessed. Very good. Yes. He had some anger issues. Yeah. I would be mad at being lied upon, being propositioned, and I, and I'm trying to do my best. Here I am living living for God, trying to do the right thing and do what I'm supposed to do, and this happens. All right. Um, who are you? I am the chiefest of all butlers in the house of Pharaoh. <coughs> chiefest of all? The chiefest of all. Have you seen his house? <laughs> they come to me because I'm number one. Okay. I'm the best ever. <laughs> <laughs> You'll never find another better okay, butler than okay. me. Okay, <laughs> okay. Read your scriptures. Okay. <laughs> Genesis 40, one through eight. <laughs> And it came to pass after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was wroth against two of his officers, against the chief of the butlers and against the chief of the bakers. And he put them in ward in the house of the captain of the guard into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. And the captain of the guard charged, with, charged Joseph with them and he served them and they continued a season in ward. And they dreamed a dream, both of them, each man his dream in one night. Each man, according to the interpretation of his dream, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, which were bound in the prison. And Joseph came in unto them in the morning and looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. And he asked Pharaoh's officers what were, or that were with him in the ward of his Lord's house, saying, Wherefore look ye so sadly today? And they said unto him, We have dreamed a dream, and there is no interpreter of it, And Joseph said unto them, do not the interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, I pray you. So then they tell him the dream, and Joseph interprets the dream. And then jump down to 14. But think on me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon. And it came to pass the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast unto all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler, me, and the chief baker among his servants. And he restored the chief butler unto his butlership again, and he gave the cup unto Pharaoh's hand. But he managed, or but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. Okay, so how exactly do you know Joseph? Well, there was this guy in the prison that I was with, and he was, like, bossing all of us around all the time. Like, he thought he was so awesome. (laughs) Whatever. You just took on my candy personality. (laughs) (laughs) That is so true. Where do you think I got it from? (laughs) (laughs) So he was bossing people around. Okay. Um, So what do you think about him? I don't. Oh. And so was there ever an instance that you let him know or showed him that you just did not consider him at all? Who are we talking about now? <laughs> I, don't even, I don't even remember this guy. So the butler forgot Joseph and didn't even remember that he had interpreted the dream. Thank you, Sister Jail. <laughs> forgot that he had interpreted a dream for him. For, for him and um, ignored it, ignored his request to remember me when you get out. When things get better, remember me, and he forgot. So how would Joseph have seen himself based on, based on this butler's opinion? <laughs> he was what, Moya? Non-existent, yes. Rejected, forgotten, yeah. Invisible. 
used. Oh yeah, totally used. Used his talents and abilities and didn't didn't remember him to the higher up. Okay. Brother Brian, what is your name? I'm Pharaoh, and be a little more respectful when you're addressing me, please. Yes, sir. Some would say I'm the leader of the not free world. <laughs> not free. <laughs> okay. Um, so I'm just going to say in the verses leading up to what Brother Brian's going to read, um, Pharaoh has a dream now, and no one can interpret it. He's asked his magicians, his astronomers, his seers, all those people, he's asked them to help him interpret the dream, and he couldn't find it. So let's um, hear this part of the story of Joseph. Chapter 41, uh, beginning at verse 9. Then spake the chief butler unto Pharaoh, saying, I do remember my faults this day. Pharaoh was wroth with his servants and put me in ward in the captain of the guard's house, both me and the chief baker. And we dreamed a dream in one night, I and he. We dreamed each man according to the interpretation of his dream. And there was there with us a young man in Hebrew, servant to the captain of the guard. And we told him and he interpreted to us our dreams. To each man according to his dream did he interpret. And it came to pass as he interpreted to us, so it was. Me he restored unto my office, and him he hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon, and he shaved himself and changed his raiment and came in unto Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, and there is none that can interpret it. And I have heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. Down to verse number 28. This is the thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh. What God is about to do, he showeth unto Pharaoh. Behold, there come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, and there shall arise after them seven years of famine, and all the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine shall consume the land. And the plenty shall not be known in the land by reason of that famine following, for it shall be very grievous. And for that the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice, it is because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now therefore let Pharaoh look out a man discreet and wise, and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this, and let him appoint officers over the land, and take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years, and let them gather all the food of those good years that come, and lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh, and let them keep food in the cities." And that food shall be for store to the land against the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land perish not through the famine. And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a man, such a one as this, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God hath showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him to ride in the second chariot which he had, and they cried before him, Bow the knee. And he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without thee shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all the land of, of Egypt. Wow, that's quite a story you have about Joseph. So clearly you know him quite well. I've never met anybody like him. He's, uh, he's powerful with God. Uh, I'm the most... Many would say I'm the most powerful man in the entire world. But, I'm, but Joseph has more power than I do. Nobody could interpret this dream. And I called everyone I possibly could. And I have plenty of uh, connections. <laughs> and uh, nobody could do this. And nobody could reveal any, to anyone this dream but God. And God revealed it to Joseph so much so that he, Joseph recognized that, that it was actually two dreams. And there was great benefit in it because... I realized what God had done with him and how, God, how he had power with God, and it was a great blessing to my kingdom because when that famine came, 
we would have been wiped out like every other nation. Instead, everybody came crawling to us and begging to us, and they were paying us for all that food that we'd stored up by Joseph's direction. Because you had given Joseph a position of power, right? Made him technically the second most powerful man in the world, the entire world. But in my eyes, he has more power even than I do. Wow. Thank you. All right. So now how would Joseph feel? Yeah, pretty good. I would be feeling pretty important. I could be feeling pretty important. I mean, we all know how Joseph truly ended up. So we're just kind of assuming some things about how other people's opinions of Joseph could have made him feel. He could have been puffed up again. He could have been, look at me, you know, I'm the big guy. I'm, I'm, I'm ruling the campus. So what happens next in scripture is, thank you everybody for helping me do all of that. Um, what happens next in scripture is, of course, famine hits. And um, Joseph had shown great wisdom and preserved grain for food for all of Egypt as well as areas surrounding Egypt. And every, the word got out, so other people knew that there was provision back in Egypt. And so they would travel and uh, go buy grain and, and take it home and, and feed their families with it. Well, of course, Jacob or Israel had heard about this grain in Egypt. And so he sent his kids, his boys, um, the rest of his boys, um, a few times to go purchase provision for his family. And every time they came, of course, jo- Joseph recognized them. He knew who they were from the very beginning. And he played a few tricks on them in an effort to get them to come back and to um, have them bring the rest of the brothers or maybe bring dad or to spend a little more time with him. Um, and just just to keep them coming back, he would play a few tricks on them that had them coming back. And so one final time, Joseph, said he, he couldn't handle it any longer. He couldn't stand it. He, he got rid of all of his servants out of the room, and he just had his brothers in the room. And he said, he started crying, and he said, I'm Joseph. Is, is our father still alive? You're my brothers. I'm your brother. I'm Joseph. And the brothers, of course, were stunned, and they were all surprised. But this is what Joseph said to them. I'm going to read Genesis 45, verses 5 through 8. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years and will last five more years, and there, and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting, God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. Three times. Did you notice? Three times. Joseph didn't say, y'all shouldn't have done this or you guys did this, but, you know, God turned it around. No, three times Joseph said, it was God who sent me here ahead of you, not you. It was God who was directing my path. Joseph could have easily, as we've talked about, identified with the labels that um, these people have put on him through the night of, you know, being prideful. And he could have um, been bitter at his brothers for getting, or, or Mrs. Potiphar for landing him in prison. He could have um, been mad at his dad even for all the dysfunction in the house because who says that I have a favorite kid? Nobody says that. That's not right. You're not supposed to do that stuff. Joseph could have had all of these um these labels where he could just been plastered with different labels of feelings and emotions of how others could have made him um, feel or look. But instead, Joseph had learned that his life was valued by God. And he trusted that no matter what plan, what path, where he went, what direction he went, that God had a greater plan in mind. He may not have understood it. He may not have I mean, I can't imagine sitting in a pit and it makes sense why I'm in the pit. I don't, I don't see how that's going to make sense. But when you have a relationship with God, Joseph had had a relationship with God so that God could speak to him early in his young years 
when he was just a young man. I've got a plan for you, Joseph. I've got a, I'm going to order your steps. You may not understand it, but this is what's going to happen. And I want you to walk in confidence in who I've placed you, where I've placed you, and who I say that you are, not who others say that you are. Joseph's brothers hated him, not because he was a bad guy, but just because of their father's love for him. And the opinions of others can make a person feel worthless or insufficient or non-existence, non-existent, but it has no actual basis in your, in your actual worth. No, no, um, there's no basis in your actual worth to the other, the, from the other opinions of others, how they feel about you. That's not really your worth. Your worth comes from God. How I view myself in the mirror that other people hold for me. It's not a clear reflection of who I really am. Uh, it's tempting to believe the labels that people can give us. I'm not talented. Oh, I could never do that. Um, I'm, I'm always the one getting in trouble, or I'm the clumsy one, or I'm the one that's going to mess up, or, or I'm, well, they said it, so it must be true, right? We, we tend to take on those labels that people put on us. And sometimes we can even be harder on ourselves. I'm broken. I'm, I've got shame. I'm, I'm filled with shame. I'm, I'm worthless. I don't, I don't have any value. What, what do I bring to the table? I, I'm spoiled. I'm very important. I'm powerful or I'm beautiful or handsome. And sometimes the labels can be painful, even the ones we give ourselves, and they can hurt. But there's one label I want you to know that you can wear tonight. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed on us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We are called the sons of God. Galatians 3, verses 26 through 29 says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you has, uh, have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. For um, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female. All these labels, right? Jew, Greek, bond, free, male, female, all these labels that you can be put on. For ye are all one. In Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then ye are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You are special. You are unique. Even though we all look completely different from one another, we're all created in his image and we are his child. We belong to him. We are we are a child of God. So you can you get me that other mirror, please? We need to see ourselves in a different mirror. I don't want to get that one of those decorations. This image that you would see here is the image that God sees. He sees you as a child, as his child, made in his image. You're perfect. You're beautiful. You're loved. You're special. You have talents that nobody else, things that nobody else can do for the kingdom. God sees you as his child. He sees you as someone very, very special to him. Have you made mistakes? Probably. Will you make some more? Yeah, probably. I will too. We're not perfect in our flesh, but God sees what we can be. And when we look at this reflection of who he says we are, 
that's something I want to be able to look at and, and take hold of and, and own it for myself. Because he loves it. Like his measuring tape is not like my dad's when he measured my height. God's measuring tape is when he says, oh, she came back and asked for forgiveness. Oh, she came back and she asked me, what should I do with my life? Where should my career be? What should I, what's your plan for me, God? The next mark could be when, you know, you seek, your, seek his face, seek his voice for an important decision, another important decision. Who am I going to marry? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Who, what do you want me to be, God? I, what's my label that you're giving me? Who do you want me to be? What school am I going to go to? People try to put labels on you, and it may be a good one. There's nothing wrong with being outgoing like my candy. But that's not necessarily who God says I am. If God makes me an introvert, then that's who I need to be. I need to be the best introvert for God I can be because what happens is if I allow somebody else to say who I am and then we're no longer friends, something happens, a riff in the relationship, we don't talk anymore, what, whatever. For some reason, they move away. We move away from not. It doesn't have to be anything bad. But what happens then is, you know, my identity is all wrapped up in who that person said I was. Now I'm not, they're not part of my life. Now who am I? Now what have I got? Right? Because we need to know who God says that we are. I thought about um, some movie actors. If you if you would if I say the name John Wayne, you certainly don't immediately go to a comedic actor. You go to a cowboy. He's got a label. Um, when I say um, Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman has that narrator voice, that calm, fatherly sound that you just kind of could read a book. He could read you books after book after book, and you don't even care because it's just that awesome voice, right? I can't picture him in a crazy role like that Jim Carrey would do. That doesn't make sense. He's been typecast. It's a label he's been given. If he can no longer act, if he, can no, if he has no longer has that calm voice, now what is he? As Anne of Green Gables says, he would, she would sink to the depths of despair. As J.L. always said, I'm going to sink to the depths of despair. <laughs> Sometimes we can be tempted to exchange our label, child of God, for something that we think could be more glamorous or impressive. But then that will be dependent. We'll be dependent upon what other people say we are. But if you allow God to define you and label you as his child, talented to do great things for him, for the kingdom. That's a label you can live up to. Um, I'm going to hand out a second label, a second name tag. And I want you to write your actual name on this one, your God-given, mama-given name. Do we have enough? I want you to write your name on this tag, and then underneath that, if you would, write child of God. Child of God. Don't take the back off of this one. I want you to hang on to this one for a little bit. My name is Becky. I'm a child of God. My label is what he wants to put on me. God, what do you want to do in my life? Who do you want me to be? What do you want me to do for you, for the kingdom? And I'd like for you to put this label, the one that says child of God, I'd like for you to put it somewhere. If you struggle with this, this identity issue where I don't know who I am. I don't know. I, I'm trying to be something I'm not. I, I don't want to be fake. I don't want to be artificial. Um, if you struggle with this, put this in a place where you can see it every day and be reminded, I'm God's child, and he loves me, 
And he thinks that I'm beautiful, and he thinks that I'm perfect. And I may, not, I may not feel it, but that's who he says I am. He made me this way. And I'm going to trust that what he says is true. And then if you want to take off your old name tag, the one that I had you fill out at the beginning, and I don't, if you want to wad it up and throw it away or, or however you want to do it, as a symbol to God, I'm not going to live by this standard anymore. God, I, I don't want to be someone fake. I don't want to be someone that I'm not, that you haven't designed me to be. Forgive me for trying to be someone I'm not. Forgive me for trying to fit myself into a mold that you didn't create for me. And if you want to just, you know, lay it on the altar or throw it away or leave it on your chair, I'll pick it up and throw it away later if it's a symbol, symbolic thing for you, that you can leave it there and you can walk away with a different perspective of yourself tonight. That you are who God made you be, to be. And he designed you perfect, just the way you are. Amen. Thank you, Sister De Becky. <laughs> Can we all stand? I always, working with youth, I always hear, I want to be different than everybody else. And then they line up and do the same things that everybody else does. But in the kingdom, God sees you as an individual and sees you as unique. And sees your talents as unique. So if you're wanting to be different, instead of dyeing your hair purple, do what God wants you to do. Because you will be unique. And in today's society, you will stand out. Because God's got great things in store for every single one of us, no matter what your age. Can we lift our hands and thank the Lord for reminding us that, of how he feels about us? Lord, we thank you for loving us. We thank you, Lord, for your peace and joy that you give us and how you see us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for reminding us over and over and over that you, we are special to you. Lord, you are a great God, and we thank you. Now go with us now and keep us safe. Help us to come back on Sunday. Lord, we give you glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.